a continent to love, a people changing the world. You're listening to the Voice of Africa podcast. We unearth compelling stories of trailblazers across disciplines of African descent. Learn from their strategies, challenges, and successes as you build your own vision-driven future. Hi there. In this interview, meet Maudu Jalo. In this podcast, we discuss his life, career being an associate at the Tony Blair Institute, and how he has used his success to give back to his community. Let's get right into it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. For those of you listening, this is the Voice of Africa podcast. Today, we're joined with a special guest, Maudu Jalo. Could you tell us about your, your childhood growing up? I mean, I was born in Gambia. Um, both of my parents are Gambian. I was born there, spent six years there. So I just started um, primary school when um, my parents decided to move, you know, to Ghana. Um, so when I was, you know, when I was six, we moved to Ghana, year 2000, um, giving, giving away my age there. But yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just sort of starting a new life, basically, because um, my dad got a job. So it meant sort of making new friends, moving away from family, coming to a new place. But the good thing about moving to a place like Ghana was it's, it's, it's away from home, but it's the culturally it's not completely different from Gambia. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very young. So, you know, when you're young, it's very easy to make friends. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was, you know, it was pretty good. Um, I, I have a lot of very fond uh, childhood memories. I, I mean, it's not exciting because like I think you know I don't have a sort of defining moment of my childhood that I can give you but um, I just remember just always good times Um, we used to have I remember we used to have parties a lot in the house Um, most uh, weekends maybe not most weekends but a lot of weekends were spent um, either having a party at the house or um, on my parents organizing something somewhere and, um, you know, things like that. We took frequent trips back to Gambia. So, you know, I never felt like I was away from Gambia for too long um, as well. So, yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty good, pretty happy. um, Some, some really good memories as well. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, So was there much of a culture shock or was it just relatively the same or? I think now looking back, Yes, but when I was young, I mean, you don't really realize these things, right? And um, um, in my house, we were still very Gambian in the sense that we ate Gambian food. We spoke the languages. We had a lot of visitors that used to come from Gambia to um, stay with us while we were in Ghana. And, you know, people always used to joke that my dad was the sort of de facto Gambian ambassador in in Ghana because everyone that, you know, would come would would stay with us. Um, But but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was. Uh, growing up, I mean, I was too young to even realize um, what the differences were. Um, and also, when I was in, when I was growing up in Ghana, I guess those were my formative years. So a lot of people in Gambia always tease me that I'm more Ghanaian in in sort of my um, way of living and then just my reference points and things like that. And I love Ghanaian food. Obviously, I'm back in Ghana now, just living here, you know. So um, there's always that joke. But truthfully, I mean, my formative years were in Ghana. So Whatever that says about me is, I guess, uh, true to an extent. Did living in different countries have an impact on the relationships that you built? Absolutely. Um, I think 
positive and negative. So positive being, you know, you know, when um, you do these, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you, you live in the States, right? Like, and, yeah. and there's this big sort of focus on um, sort of liberal arts schools and, and just building these multicultural, open-minded, you know, sort of very uh, flexible ways of learning and, and being around people, right? right. Um, and I never felt that I needed to particularly put my out, myself out there to do those things because my upbringing was that, right? Like um, I lived in Gambia, like I said, moved to Ghana. And then at 14, I moved to the UK and I did boarding school in the UK, right? So right. growing up was just this always being thrust into um, new cultures and learning new things and being in international schools as well. Like, you know, in my class, I'm not talking about my school, just my class. There were probably like 20 different nationalities just, you know, growing up. Um, so, and we used to have these like uh, really cool cultural days in school where everyone would dress up in their cultural attire and bring in food. So, I mean, throughout, I guess, this conversation, you you realize that like, um, I'm very happy and blessed about the fact that I grew up experiencing different cultures because I moved around so much, right? Um, but uh, the, the negative of that, obviously, is the fact that, um, and, and you know, I don't think it would be a surprise to any of my friends, but I don't feel like I have best friends. Like, I don't feel like I have people that I call day ones, you know, like, right. there are a few that I've known for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but I don't necessarily think I know anyone um, who I, I'd say, you know, I've known this person since I was, since I was five. There's one person that I can think of but even with him, like he lives in Gambia and I've been away from Gambia for so long that that relationship isn't really what it would have been if I lived in Gambia my whole life. So, um, yeah, I, I think in a way it's taken away from deepening relationships that I have with people. Um, but it's allowed me to have a lot more relationships with so many more people in different parts of the world. So there's, there's a negative and positive, I guess. That's interesting because I, I know a few people who are... Uh who are like that, they don't necessarily have day ones, as you put it, you're almost fragmented in a way like you. Right, you, exactly. Yeah. Are there any other role models and mentors that you had that you can find in? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I always talk about my dad, right? Because um, growing up, um, my dad, you know, worked, that's why we moved around, right? Um, because my dad worked for the UN. Um, and, you know, uh, growing up, I just thought that was the coolest thing, you know, and I, I used, I remember being so proud to tell my friends, you know, my dad works for the United Nations. Like it's, you know, um, so he was my first ever role model. And then I'm not saying that to be sentimental. I'm just being very honest, you know, and especially seeing as, um, everything came full circle. And even though for a long time I wanted to be in business and, you know, I studied business and I studied economics because I wanted to go into sort of being a business executive. Sure. Um, but then I ended up working for the UN and eventually I, I you know, um, followed in this path, even though for a long time I didn't want to. So that conscious and subconscious way in which he was a role, he was a role model for me, um, played out, you know, in very obvious ways. Now, beyond him, um, you know, there, there have been people that I went to school with who, you know, were, six, seven years ahead of me, but I've always been an old head, if you will. Like I always hung out with older people. 
Right. And there are a couple now that I can just, you know, mention like Jude Addo, for example, who um, right now is a mentor of mine, um, but he was a role model for me growing up for a long time. And he didn't know it until recently when we had a conversation. I was like, hey, bro, I used to look up to you. Um, and he's done incredible things, you know, worked for JP Morgan, worked for uh, Standard Chartered. Um, now he has his own um, firm and, and he's advisory board everywhere and board of directors everywhere. So, wow. um, yeah, that's that's and, and he's relatively young. And, and I think for me, that's um, what I want to do. And, and then that's the path that I'm trying to take is I've always tried to be the youngest to do something or or you know, just doing everything younger than everybody else, because it's, it's a way of motivating myself and it, it's a goal that I can work towards. Right. So yeah, no, I, 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 those are the two people that I had that mentioned, but there's so many others. Right. Um, and, and people, I guess that I don't know, you know, obviously Barack Obama comes to mind. Right. right. Um, and someone that's less known, but just as influential, I think someone like Susan Rice, um, you know, just, she's one of the smartest people you know everyone that ever she's worked with always mentions how she's just one of the smartest people i've ever worked with right um and and i aspire to to that right um i, I want people that work with me or meet me and things like that to think of me as someone they can go to with problems and then they'll find solutions so in that way she's a role model as well how have your personal experiences shaped the way you have approached your job or job acquisition so I wish I had like a well thought out answer, but I, I really don't. I think a lot of it is subconscious. Right. Um, so I don't really know. I mean, you know, I'm sure um, I'm no psychologist, obviously, but I'm sure there are ways in which, you know, my, my personality and my experiences have a huge impact on, you know, my job. One thing I'll say is, you know, like I said, um, just growing up in a household where um, my dad was working in the international development sector and, and my mom was, was, was a public servant, kind of, I guess, pushed me in that direction. And, and that's why I ended up in this sector that I work in now. Right. Um, but beyond that, I, I will share this, I think, which is um, always kind of weird to talk about, but, but hey. Um, so growing up, I, I, I was never, you know, when, when teachers were doing like a list of all the kids they thought were gonna be super successful and then they were, you know, we're going to be uh, world changers and things like that. Um, I wasn't one of them. Uh, and and it, it wasn't, it wasn't because, you know, uh, they didn't think I was particularly smart or whatever, but it was just, they thought I wasn't taking life seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, now, now that I've turned that around, I think a lot of my motivation and, and the way in which I approach you know, chasing after things and going for jobs and, and being proactive about that is trying, I, you know, and I recognize this in myself is like, I'm constantly trying to prove people wrong. And I'm constantly trying to, um, you know, okay, you didn't think I could do this watch kind of thing. And then, okay. and that motivates me. Um, and I think in the past two or three years, I, I realized that about myself. And, and instead of, I felt weird about it, but then now I've embraced it. And it's sort of, I know that it's a driving force for me. So instead of like running away from it, I kind of leverage it and embrace it. Uh, what project have you worked on that you've been most passionate about or felt most uh, enriched by? Passionate about, um, I would say New Nation, which is this um, organization that I founded in the Gambia. And I'm sure we can go into more details about that later. Um, 
So that's probably what's the project that I was most passionate about. I think Enriched By was actually earlier this year where I had the pleasure of working um, on, you know, the unfortunate pleasure, I should, I should say, of working on the COVID-19 response in Ghana yeah. um, when, when sort of the, you know, when, <laughs> you know, bleep hit the fan, right, um, in, in <laughs> earlier this year. And um, there were a lot of, uh, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. No one really knew what they were doing, but it was a great experience because I learned so much in a short period of time. And I was a part of a team that um, now, look, you know, looking back, a lot of people are saying, you know, Ghana did a great job and, you know, that sort of thing. So mm. I was definitely enriched by that. It's something that I'm extremely proud of. If you go on my um, social media, you'll see that, you know, it's, I put it there and, and a lot of interviews I've done recently have been around that work. Um, and it sort of put me in, in a unique space of, you know, the people that when the crisis hit were sort of tasked with, um, the responses in different countries, you know, I, I was, had the pleasure of being a part of that, or you know, the privilege, I guess. So, so that's the one that I'd point to, and it was earlier this year. Throughout your professional and educational careers, did you find that you have to prove yourself? You sort of made an allusion to this earlier. Do you find yourself that you have to prove or defy people's assumption and expectations because of your uh, racial identity? Um, racial... Yes, to an extent. I mean, um, like I, I mentioned that I went to boarding school in, in the UK and, um, you know, I've talked to my friends about this, but I don't think I've ever sort of put it on wax, if you will. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, if, when you go to a, s a school where, you know, at any given point, you know, there may be three or four people that look like you max wherever you are in, in the school at any given point, right? Right. Um, where 90% of people in the school are white. Um, it does make you constantly have this chip on your shoulder where you're um, trying to prove that being black doesn't mean you're X, Y, or Z, where X, Y, or Z means anything between loud, stupid, um, you know, not uh, well-mannered, whatever you want to put in there, you know, like right. you're constantly having to prove yeah. yourself. And then there's a way in which that plays on your mind. So, so there's, there's that element. Um, and like I said earlier, I think, um, you know, so not particularly racially, but um, just being someone who was counted out, being someone who um, not a lot of people particularly thought highly of or, or thought was going to be um, able to do some, a lot of the things that I've been able to do now, um, that definitely um, is a factor. Has there ever been a time where you felt that you no longer have to defy other people's expectation and uh, how did this shift happen? No, I, I mean, I, I, I still feel that, um, you know, because it's, it, it's, it's layered, right? right. So um, it's kind of like, I, you know, I love sports as, as you can tell, right? But yeah. um, <laughs> so there's different layers to everything. So there's the, the minor leagues, there's the major leagues, you know, there's, um, and at every stage that you get to in life, there, there are always going to be people that don't think you're worth what you say you're worth, or don't mm -hmm. think you're going to be able to be successful at that level, right? right? So, I mean, I proved people wrong up to this point, but now I'm venturing into new things, I'm doing different things, I'm, I'm taking on new roles, um, 
and they're always naysayers, you know, um, and, and that's okay. Like I've learned that, um, you know, and, and this is the best way I can illustrate it is, you know, when um, you're walking down the street, you know, at, in a very um, sort of, uh, I guess, slow pace, taking your time very leisurely, there's very little resistance in terms of wind, right? Like it's, yeah. you don't even feel it most of the time, right? But if you're running down the street or you're in a car and you're going really fast and everyone's like, whoa, why is that car going that fast? You'll realize that, you know, if you put your hand out the window, there's a lot of resistance in terms of wind, right? And that's how I view life now. It's, it's, it's sort of like if you're doing what everyone expects you to do in a very slow and, and ex, you know, expected manner, there's no resistance. No one cares, you know? Right. Um, but if you're trying to do something great, there's always, always, always going to be resistance. And, and something about me is I love watching um, bio, you know, biopics right. of great men and women, you know, that, that, that have lived. Um, and Netflix is great for that. So, you know, when I, when I have downtime, I spend a lot of time watching, you know, the life of um, John F. Kennedy and like, right. you know, things like that, where I'm just trying to understand how they go from here to, you know, not even here, but out of picture, right? Like Claire of every other human being and how, th how that happened. And one thing you always find is when you're trying to do something that great and at that level and, you know, no one, people sort of project their fears and their right. um, sort of this, their, their thoughts that this is impossible. They project that onto you. So that right. if you ask them for their opinion, they'll always say no. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who, when you ask them about starting Voice of Africa or doing anything around Voice of Africa, they'll be like, oh, are you sure? You know, is it going <laughs> to? But but once you do it and you start getting success, yeah. um, then a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that, that does make sense. But at the time, you know, no one thought the iPod was a good idea. You know, I remember yeah. um, apparently there was this time when Nokia were laughing about the fact that like no one's going to want a camera for like a camera in their phone. You know, it makes no sense, really? right? Yeah, no, no, I, I, I might be getting like the, the, the uh, company wrong. I don't know if it was Nokia yeah. or another company, but I think it was Nokia. Um, apparently one of their executives was quoted as saying, you know, who's going to want a camera in their phone? You know, people want a phone mm. to do phone things and then a camera. And now think about how the camera is like an integral part of every phone right. everywhere, right? right? So, so, so that's, that's just the kind of thinking that I have now is, you know, um, people are going to, everyone, and, and sometimes it's not even from a bad place. It's some, it's from people that care about you. I mean, yeah. you know, I've, I've had instances where, you know, my mom has said, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing that or you probably shouldn't do that um, or don't take that risk. And right. she's saying it because she loves me. It's not because she, she's hating on me or she doesn't want me to be successful. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's just, they can't imagine you doing that. And, and that's fine. You know, uh -huh. that shows you that you're doing something that's worth doing most of the time. Right. What drives you as a young African? Is it success or is it money? Is it fame? I can cross out fame. I, I've, I've, I've never really, you know, and, and like I said earlier, you know, I wanted to be a successful businessman, right? Right. So again, success is definitely one of them. Now, um, did I want to be a successful businessman because it makes you a lot of money? Yes. You know, but uh, the thing about it is that um, I've never wanted fame because I just, I, I've, I've always looked at 
successful businessmen that are very sort of humble and low key and quiet as my ideal and go-to for a long time in life. Now, one thing I realized about myself is that, as you can tell from this conversation, I like to talk, I like to interact, I like to um, move things, I like to have conversations, I like to move things forward. Now, in order to do that, there's a certain amount of popularity, right? So I'm not, I'm not gonna say fame, because that's, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be world famous, that's not what I want. Right. It's a certain amount of popularity that allows you to have some um, credibility so yeah. that you can move things in a certain way. So the difference between, there's a difference between sort of popularity and then credibility and then there's clout, right? Like that's, you know, that's, that's not, they're two different things. And, and I try and stay away from the clout stuff, um, you know, and, and move more towards the popularity and, and, and the credibility. Now people mix that sometimes, you know, they, they think a lot of what I'm doing um, is for clout. But, but again, as we talked about earlier, that's fine. You know, if people want to think a certain thing, as long as you know, that's not where you're going, right. You know, that's fine. Now, just, I say all of that to say, and I'll to answer your question directly is what drives me is legacy more than anything else, you know, and I, uh, you know, okay. So it's so the elephant in the room or the painting in the room, if you will, is that I, I, you know, in, in the Michael Jordan versus like LeBron debate, you know, who's the greater person, you know, basketball right. player. Right. Um, I mean, it, it is generational, of course, and, and I'm more likely to pick LeBron because I'm younger. Right. But the, the thing with me is there's a certain level of, you know, respect that I give to people who are able to play at a high level or, or do what they do at a high level for really long and do it consistently, right? Yeah. So so when you when you look at, the way LeBron's been able to, you know, be the best player or like one or two or three of the best players in the world mm -hmm. for close to 15 years, right? Right. To me, that's insane, you know, yeah. and, and, and that legacy is powerful. Now, I see legacy as two things. I see legacy as that. So being so great over such a long period of time that people remember you and talk about you, but then legacy being the small things. So the, the ways in which I've been able to impact and change people's lives um, through my work and through my words and through my actions, right? And, and that really matters to me. Um, I know I won't be alive to see it, but I hope 100, 200 years from now, you know, there'll still be people talking about, oh, I remember the time Maudo did this and it led to um, X, Y, and Z outcomes. Um, and, and, and that would mean a lot to me, even though I probably be dead by then. But just knowing that I'm doing things like that now for the future gives give me a lot of uh, drive. You are still listening to the Voice of Africa podcast, unveiling a continent to love, a people changing the world. In the rest of the interview, Maudu talks about the role of today's young Africans in the development of the continent his startup prime years, and the Tony Blair Institute. Stay tuned. Do you have a work-life balance? If so, how do you achieve it? Yes, uh, big time, actually. Uh, I have a very good work-life balance now. I didn't have one as much when I lived, I find, in... Um, the UK or, or the US. Um, so I used to live in New York. And even though my work gave me the opportunity to have a good work life balance, I always felt like 
I wasn't actually living when I, when I was in New York. Um, I would have fun from time to time. I, I lived an okay life. Like, you know, I wasn't missing meals or anything, but when I compare that to the way I live here in Ghana, it just feels like I'm a lot more alive. I'm doing a lot more and I'm, I'm able to experience things a lot more, um, you know, in, a, in, a, in an exciting way. Whereas in New York, everything felt more predictable. And even though I would get off work at five, you know, it, I would, it would take me ages to actually get home. And then by the time you get home, you know, you're struggling to actually, you know, sort of do anything or, or stay awake long enough to watch anything, you know, on the news or whatever. So I, I didn't really have one, but now I feel like I do. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's, that's the main thing. It's just um, the difference between there and here is here, when you talk about work-life balance, the, work, the life part is much more lively um, than the work part. Congrats on your uh, position in the Tony Blair Institute. Uh, can you Thank give you. us some information on the role you play in both companies? Um, so the, the Tony Blair Institute is, uh, it's, well, it's an organization, first of all. Um, right. So we do a lot of um, work in developing countries uh, like Ghana, um, and we're currently in about 15 African countries. And what we do is just provide advisory services um, on, you know, on a pro bono basis to um, developing countries, governments. Um, and, you know, we, we help in sectors, everything from manufacturing to tech to agriculture and so on and so forth. So um, that's basically what we do. How can the public have access to information on the programs or projects New Nation is setting up? Yeah, so, so, you know, I mentioned earlier that New Nation is, is my passion. You know, I founded it about just under three years ago. Um, and it was basically focused on trying to see how young people can be agents of change for other young people in, in the Gambia, you know, which uh, I mentioned is where I'm from. So um, that's basically what we're about. We focus mostly on education um, and different aspects of education and, and health. Um, and, you know, you can find a lot of our information on our social media pages. So on Instagram, it's at New Nation GMB. Um, and then on uh, Twitter, it's new underscore nation underscore. Um, that's our at. So if you go there, you'll see a lot of pictures, you know, videos, posts that we've done um, about the work that we do, um, you know, in, in the Gambia and, and, and how we've been able to build that sort of um, organization over the span of uh, three years. What inspired you to start up Prime Years? So, so first of all, uh, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Uh, so this is our merchandise uh, from Prime Years. And uh, so the, it actually says here, um, the definition of Prime Years is, you know, a period in a person's life where they um, sort of realize their full potential, set goals and, and pursue them fearlessly. Um, and the whole point of Prime Years is, you know, sitting around thinking about um, the next few years of my life. And in, in terms of sports, again, sports references, right? You know, when you get to about my age is when you're seen as being in your prime in sports, right? right. And, and the whole point of that is like, this is where you need to maximize your career, your potential, take risks, um, set goals and pursue them fearlessly, as, as we say on the t-shirts. Um, and, and that's basically what I did is, is just... Um, new uh, sort of prime years was a, a, 
a result of me thinking as if I was in my prime years and thinking, how can I do more? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a nine to five, I have a side business, but, and I do all these other things sort of, um, with my, with new nation, but how can I do even more? You know, is there something else that I can build that, um, is going to bring value and, and can be a business for me. And I thought prime years was perfect because it's just basically this brand for young aspirational young people, you know, sorry, young aspirational, um, people from around the world right. who are looking to set goals, who are looking to um, break barriers and, and do things that are, um, you know, maximum resistance um, instead of minimum resistance um, in terms of the wind analogy. Um, and, and that's what Primeers basically was. And it started all very organically. It was on um, Instagram. I used to post and, and put Primeers, no fears, right? And it was just that thing that I would say to myself constantly, Primeers, no fears. And then people started to resonate with it. And I was like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? Merchandise. So, you know, we, we got these t-shirts um, printed and, and they became, you know, a hit. We printed our first 50 and, and they sold out. So we know now we've read up and then we printed another hundred and we're putting that out there um, as well. So, you know, and, and you can check that out on Instagram. It's um, at underscore premiers um, and, and you can buy it from, from there. Um, and, and, and that's basically what it became so then it was t-shirts and, and and sort of merchandise then it was like okay how can i go even further then it became okay uh let's do events well more specifically brunches and i thought about you know how can i make the rock nation because the rock nation brunches was always this really cool thing that i know i'm probably never going to be a part of but it looked very exciting to me right? right um and i was like how can i you take that and make it for young people make it aspirational in terms of in instead of sort of celebrating success make it more like how can we get to that level right um and and make it accessible and and make it something that people can go to in ghana and we had our first one last month and it was a success um we're about to have our um sorry earlier this month we had our first one and we're, we're about to have our next one um next month on the 8th of uh, november which again the brunch is also around <clears throat> it's also around the same thing it's sort of um you know bringing people together allowing them to network and then having um you know an inspirational speaker to come and speak to them about their how how they took risks in their life to get from here to here you know um right. and and you can see how everything sort of relates right right so so that's where primaries came from uh, interesting uh so uh speaking about uh young <clears throat> or today's uh young Africans, how crucial is the role of today's young Africans in the development of the continent? It's, it's, it's paramount. It's, it's the most important thing. And then that's why in everything that I do, you always hear me talk about young Africans, because right. I think we have so much power, we have so much influence, we have so much creativity, um, so much ingenuity, and um, it's incumbent upon us to, to use that for good things and, and to use that for um, you know, major outcomes that are gonna help the continent and, and help our countries and our communities, right? And, and for me, that's the main thing here. It's trying to um, constantly push that message. And, and I could not be more of a fan of just young Africans and the things that we're doing at the moment. And if you look at what's, what's happening, unfortunately, now in Nigeria, um, you see how young Africans are 
you know, coming together and, and, and pushing for change and, and saying that enough is enough. Um, you know, so protesting isn't enough. We need to do more, but it's a start. Right. So what projects are you currently working on? Um, uh, so there's, you know, we've talked about premieres. We've talked about New Nation. Right. Uh, we've talked about um, my day job. Um, apart from that, so I'm, an, I'm a senior advisor to Ghana for Startups, which is this um, network of, of uh, startups, you know, in, in Ghana, uh, mostly, you know, founded and run by young people. Um, and uh, that's a very sort of low intensity role for me. You know, I, I uh, contribute from time to time and I give advice where I can and strategic uh, support direction on um, which, where they should be looking to go. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, I am also on the advisory board of um, the African Leadership Institute based in South Africa. So, so there's that. Um, and then, I mean, I could, well, I, I'll just stop it. Finally, there's uh, this uh, role that I've also taken up recently, which is to be a trustee on, on the board of uh, To Bridge the Gap, To Bridge the Gap, sorry, which is this uh, student run um, advisory uh, investment um, and advisory um, club uh, started out in Warwick University in, in the UK. And they're looking to find sort of um, investment opportunities um, in Africa, but but specifically sort of angel investments and and um, social uh, and, and and impact investing um, on the continent. And and I have a again very low intensity role with, with them as well, which is mostly around sort of you know strategic advice and support and, and essentially just um, being of help wherever I can. So those are some of the things that I'm working on. But but you know it's all. Some are high intensity, some are low intensity. So it's not fair to sort of be like, I'm working on all these things because, you know, I'm not. It's, it's some of them are just uh, touch and go, if you will. Okay, because it, it, it seemed like a lot. It seemed like it, it seemed almost very hectic the way you, um, you were describing it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it for a second. <laughs> if, you, if, you saw, if you actually saw that, like, I actually had a brain fart. Like, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, are you content with your title you hold now, or is there still more personal growth? Absolutely. I mean, um, personal growth never stops. You know, um, I was just listening to something Lauren Hill said, um, an interview she gave ages ago, but it was reposted, and I was watching it this morning. And she's she was talking about how, you know, well, coming from her, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the Lauren Hill story, um, she did kind of fall a victim to sort of being yeah. too comfortable to an extent. Um, but but I don't know if that interview was before or after that. But anyway, um, what she said in the interview was very powerful, which is, you know, you can never get too comfortable. Um, and there's always room for growth, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Um, and she was saying how, you know, if you walk down the stairs every day and point to all your accomplishments and say, you know, I'm this amazing person and I'm the greatest because I accomplished these things. Right. You're never going to grow because you're sitting on your laurels and you're saying, hey, I'm amazing. I don't need to grow. But we, we can always grow. There's always new things to conquer. There's always ways that we can grow internally and externally. Um, and particularly personal growth, it's, it's all over the place. You know, we, we go, you know, sometimes you're here person, in terms of your personal, you know, you know, mental health and all these things. 
and then six months down the line something happens and that changes so there's always ways in which you can you can grow and that's no different for me you know i'm um i'm an open book i'm always looking to learn i'm always looking to exchange ideas um so that's never going to change what would you tell a young african who is trying to develop a successful business or make a difference in the world do those suggestions differ between gender identities yes um absolutely i think you know we always need to be cognizant of the fact that things are inherently um or well, maybe not inherently but to an extent inherently different for young african women right you know as opposed to young african men um so there's definitely that um and you know to go through all the ways in which that you know being a young woman uh, is different from being a young man you know we could go on and on um but i'm i'm sure you know a lot of people listening and and yourself are, are quite familiar with those things so I, i won't dwell too much on that but one thing i'll say is um one thing i've learned in the past couple of years is we you know there's that whole thing about growth happens outside your comfort zone yes right what they don't say is outside your comfort zone is also outside your comfort zone for a reason mm-hmm. all right it's not comfortable inherently now i think for a lot of people they want to be comfortable and to be outside their comfort zone at the same time it doesn't work like that right mm-hmm. and i think there's a level of um discomfort that you need to have in order to truly um build that amazing business or take that next step in your career um and you know i i spent the last 2 years sort of doing that to an extent which is just taking risks and and um trying not to be too comfortable and one thing that i found is that you need to find pockets of comfort in that sort of period of discomfort right, right. so what i mean by that is um you need to settle into the fact that okay if i'm going to build this business to where i want it to go i'm going to be uncomfortable for the next 10 years right or the next 5 right. years or however long it takes mm-hmm. now you know that goes without saying what i'm adding to that is that within those 5 years that you've committed to in order to stay committed right. what you can do is reward yourself and find areas of comfort within you know so for example if you think starting a business is what you want to do but you live in a place that isn't conducive to starting a business or you you think it would be better to move back in with your parents you know in order to do that do it right because the worst thing is feeling like when it rains it pours because then you know maybe you have a bad day at work you know and then you get home and you forgot to you know pay your electricity bill and your electricity has been cut out and you know there's no food in the fridge and and you know and then the ways in which that can impact you and make you feel like giving up whereas if you have at least knowing okay i'm taking this risk in order to do this amazing thing but i know at the very least when i go home because i live with my parents you know x y and z is already there and available to me so that right. becomes a pocket of of comfort right? right um you know building friendships around yourself genuine ones people that will be there for you no matter if you're here or here um always also helps because that creates a pocket of 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 comfort and so on and so forth i mean that's what that's a piece of advice that i'd give is you know if you want to take that risk please go for it but make sure that you're honest with yourself in the sense that you create ways in which you can still be comfortable within that you know period of discomfort right <laughs> i really enjoy this talk honestly uh so how do you work- oh, no, 
how do you wish to see the future of Africa? How do you wish to see these problems resolved in the future? And then notably, uh, one or one of the common ones, uh, or mainstream, I, I should say, with what's going on in Nigeria, how would you like to see that resolved? Great question. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a student of politics around the world. You know, I, I love politics. So a lot of people always say that my answers tend to put too much importance on politics. But I think it's, it's crucial. I mean, um, one thing I'm hoping will happen from this year that we've had all around the world is an awakening of young people to realize that if you're not in power or you don't have allies in power, there's nothing you can do when, you're, when you feel as though you're being um, treated badly or, or you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick. Now, so, so the way in which I'd love to see these things resolved are um, we need to be more pragmatic in our outlook, both economically and politically, right? right? So what do I mean by that? Now, politically, we need to be more strategic. So I had a great conversation with a friend of mine um, in Nigeria who was talking about she's, you know, for the next three years, you know, the next election in Nigeria is in 2023. So she was like, okay, in the next three years, I'm going to mobilize as many young people as I can to strategically target, um, you know, local elections and, and gov you know, gubernatorial elections in order to get people that are pro- youth and, and progressive leaders in power so that the next time there's a crisis like this, you know, you don't have protesters being shot in the streets. I love that, right? So if we can replicate that around the world, so not just in Africa, but, you know, for young Black people that are in the U.S., you know, mm -hmm. um, be politically active. Try and see how you can create change because people want change quickly. Change isn't going to happen quickly. These are deeply entrenched Right. systems right. that have been in place for hundreds of years and mm -hmm. it is in the people in power's interest to keep it that way the status quo yeah. so if we're trying to change things we can't give up after six months because it's not working we can't get frustrated right. what we need to do is have a plan over a period of years where we say we're going to strategically target these things and in the next five years or the next 10 years the next 15 20 years um you know we will put our allies in place so that we can get the outcomes that we want to get. So, so that's politically, that's how I see it. Now, economically, it's all about, you know, building wealth, right? It's, it's, it's as simple as that, you know, anything else that you talk about is great, but at the end of the day, there's a certain way in which money talks and, and money dictates, you know, cash rules everything around me is, is basically, you know, how you put it. And, and it's, and it's true. I mean, <clears throat> you know, in order to start my NGO or do any projects, even though it's a social thing or, 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 or a pro bono thing, I need money. I need people to donate. I need people to, you know, um, and that goes all the way to, you know, um, if you want your economy to work better, you know, you need more people that have wealth within that economy. You know, if, if you want neighborhoods to look better, it helps if it's a wealthy neighborhood. So <clears throat> I'm not saying that all of us need to all of a sudden be business people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a lot of us need to start thinking about how to be business people and build wealth and, and be entrepreneurs and be entrepreneurial in, in the way that we think about these things. But even if you're not a businessman, if you're not starting a business, if you're not you know, running a business, think about how you can be smarter with um, working within you know, you, where you are. So if, if you're an artist, if you're whatever it is, think about how you can be smarter with your money and, and how you can be smarter with investing that money because it's not even about us, right? right. It's about <clears throat> how can we get a million of us to pass on, you know, 
uh, $1,000, you know, I'm, I'm just giving random numbers here, but right. a million of us passing on $1,000, so then a billion dollars is passed on to our next generation, right? So it's, it's that idea, it's like, you know, or uh, how can we get a million of us to pass on a million dollars to the next generation? So then you're really looking at a lot of money, right? Now, that that is economically how we can change things. Okay, and for our final question, how can the Voice of Africa support and contribute to your causes? I, I think, you know, what you guys are doing already is, is great. I think what we need to be, you know, uh, I, okay, so, you know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff right now in the news about Nigeria and, right. and rightfully so, right? right. Yeah. But a part of me was sad, you know, I was sad for two reasons, mainly because of what's going on is terrible and things like that. But a part of me was also sad because we had just started getting somewhere in terms of changing and rebranding the image of Africa, right? right. Um, and, you know, we saw the amazing pictures and videos of people coming to Ghana for the, for the you know, year of return. And you had a bunch yeah. of people who were excited about going back to the continent. Everyone was talking about buying land on the continent. You had people that I never thought would be talking about, you know, Africa or Ghana or whatever. Um, you know, people like Ebro on Hot 97 and then, you know, um, Charlemagne the God and things like that, talking about buying property in Ghana. And you had Ludacris, over, you know, for the year of return, you had Boris Kojo, you had Ludacris, mm -hmm. you know, you had several people. Beyonce's mom was here. Um, you know, and, and that mindset was starting to shift. And then all of a sudden you see this again, it reminds you of the old Africa that we don't want anymore. Right. And, and the role you guys can play is, you know, obviously report the news and, and let people know what's going on, but also focus on the positives, you know, try and bring out the positive stories, um, of Africa because it plays a huge role. Perception plays a huge role in everything, you know, yeah. um, we found, you know, in, in a lot of the work that we do and when I say we I'm talking about the Tony Blair Institute is trying to get investment into the continent and mm -hmm. it helps when investors have a favorable opinion of these places and that starts with branding it starts with imagery it starts with places like Voice of Africa um, in, in building those platforms that, that can sort of spread positivity about the continent so I feel like that's the best way you guys can contribute and I think you're already doing that oh thank you I uh, would definitely uh, continue to do or do our best with being objective with the news that we share i feel like that's very important that we absolutely don't take we don't take an opinionated stance that we just we share the news we tell it like how it is and we just put the truth out there there's a absolutely be more truth out there. Well, thank you for uh, taking your time to join with us maudu uh, we enjoyed i certainly enjoyed your talk and i know our audience thank you will. <laughs> so, appreciate it yeah, man. thank you uh thank you for the opportunity and uh yeah, man. Keep doing what you guys do and i um, happy to help in any way that I can going forward. Hey there. We hope you enjoyed this interview. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to our channel and leave a review. And if you already have, share this interview with anyone who might be inspired by it. Also, you can send us a review on how to serve you best. Join us for our next installment of TVOA Podcast.